politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots yearning for a sanctuary for freedom. This is your sanctuary for liberty, for freedom. Daniel Horowitz back here in the house on December 10th. It's Friday. It's the end of the week. And boy, what an end of the week. You have uh, news this morning out. Inflation, the highest it's been in uh, since 1982. Up 6.8% in one month. This is, I believe, the sixth consecutive month where it's been over 5%. It's it's a greater tax on the middle income earners than any tax. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons in this that ties back into COVID fascism because COVID fascism actually induced the entire economic collapse. So it's funny. Republicans, you see all these... uh, you know, leadership uh, Twitter handles like the House GOP conference and the Senate Republicans. Oh, look at what Biden did. Biden's boom. And and they have all this stuff. And the irony is that Republicans voted for all this stuff. March, April 2020, the multi-trillion dollar bills that catalyzed and induced what we are living through today. They had control of two of the three branches, the presidency and the Senate at the time. And they voted for the worst pieces of legislation in American history for two reasons. Number one, the 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 cost. Um, it, it just dumped trillions of dollars in people's pockets, so we knew that would be inflationary. But number two, it, it underwrote the lockdowns and, and our entire approach it absolved from, from liability. The vaccine makers, rather than put the money into treatment, it put it into lockdowns. We could have avoided all of this. So Republicans on their watch voted for the worst pieces of legislation. Biden just continued the logical conclusion. And Republicans would have voted for all that had they maintained control, minus a couple of elements of it. So that's a complete joke. So where are we going to get our sanctuary from the biomedical genocide? If you think voting Republican is going to help you, you know, without focusing on the primaries, without focusing on the states, the legislative sessions, you're missing something. You know, uh, there's a CNBC poll out today that Republicans now have a 10-point generic ballot lead. And that's like the equivalent of a 15, 17-point Democrat lead on the other side because Democrats typically have a a party registration advantage and, you know, for a number of other reasons. Like, you know, if you have an even generic ballot, that's, that's really a plus Republican election. So if your plus 10 is greater than it was in 2010. So... What, what bothers me is the opportunity we have is enormous. The opportunity we have to kick them while they're down. If they're leading by that much nationally, how much do you think they're leading by in Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, North Dakota, Oklahoma, yet we can't get legislation passed to properly deal with any of this in most states. So they're squandering it. That's the joke. I don't want to hear about a cheap campaign talk. Remember, COVID fascism caused this. Because now you have the funny money in conjunction with an artificially choked off supply chain. So that's the worst of all. Now, speaking of the states and how to properly fight back, um, I fully endorse our sponsor today, Convention of the States, even more so than their end goal, It's where they're coming from. It's the recognition 
that what we are doing is not working and you will never fix this in Washington. You will never fix the country in Washington. And I, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I would say the country as a whole is lost. The best you can do is deal with some specific states. The cavalry is not coming. Okay? Oh, yeah, let's just wait till we throw the bums out of Washington. No. That's why I encourage you all to do what I've done. Um, join my friend Mark Meckler at Convention of the States. Sign up at conventionofstates.com slash Horowitz. Okay, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z, my name. Sign the petition today. Join the movement. Mark Levin, Steve Dace, Governor DeSantis, all support Convention of the States. And um, it's really the, the most terrific grassroots guys around because this is what we need to do. If we don't make the red states red again, then the state legislature is great again. We have no hope. But on the other hand, Think about all the way around the world. There is no other country where they have the opportunity we do. All all these governments that are pushing lockdowns, they're popular. They're winning. There's no way they can do anything about it. Here, the government is unpopular, and also we already have half the states that the opposing party, allegedly opposition party, already controls. There's so much we could do. That's That's the stone-cold truth. Don't just use it as a talking point to win an election a year from now. Do stuff now. What is the excuse? They're like, oh, Daniel, we don't want to get involved. We don't want to use the redistricting session. No, you would embrace it. Kick them while they're down. You're ahead. So this demonstrates, once again, what I've said all along, is that it's not a matter of, oh, Republicans, you know, they they love to be with us, but because of the media and the control of the culture, they're scared. No, they'll be against us even when it's politically auspicious for them to do the right thing. So that's where we are there. You know, it's funny. uh, You know, I was debating Hugh Hewitt on Twitter the other day, and, you know, um, he was putting out there, I'm getting my booster. So I just kind of you know, messaged him, I said, oh, how many, the fourth, the fifth? And he's like, however many my toxicologist brother tells me. And like, now, I don't know anyone who listens to Hugh Hewitt, but what I do know is that his views perfectly reflect the GOP establishment at any given time. He is the doorknob GOP cheerleader. That that If you want to know what Mitch McConnell is thinking at any given time, <laughs> that's where it is. Okay, so he is fully, I mean, you would think the scam when they're on to the fourth, fifth, like everyone would be on to this. And we're going to talk about the scam, how this works. Scientifically, we had a great show yesterday with Dr. Dan Stock, where this is coming from, where this is headed. But the point is, when it, as it relates to the most prominent issue of our time, the Republicans are on the other side. So right now we have no sanctuary. California announced that they're going to be a sanctuary for abortions. Okay, so they're going to invite people to come from other states. They're, you know, they're preparing for what they believe might be a possible ruling from a court that somewhat reverses Roe v. Wade and then some red states would ban abortions and hey, you're welcome here. We'll pay for it. So You look at the blue states, and they're a sanctuary for their immorality, murder, illegal aliens, whatever they want. Why can't we get states to be a sanctuary for our values? 
and, and basic American rights. You look at New Hampshire, the Republican governor, Chris Sununu, he was out there making fun of Ron Johnson for talking about the mouthwash, the, the irrigation of what that does to reduce viral load. And he was agreeing with Savannah Guthrie, like, you know, he was uh, commiserating with the uh, liberal media about how it's terrible. They're putting out misinformation. Dangerous, dangerous. This bastard is putting out dangerous misinformation. You know, I'm told that almost nobody qualifies for monoclonals in New Hampshire. So they tell this dangerous lie that, oh, you can't get seriously ill, and then they do, and then they have nothing for them. It's truly disgusting. But this is what we have. They're all, every one of these governors is on the other side. You know, I would almost venture to say it would be better to have a Democrat governor in some of these states with a Republican legislature because Republicans are more righteous against, uh, you know, when, when there's divided power. When you have a rhino governor, you're done because they totally control the legislature. You know, I think this perfectly plays out in a place like Indiana. Indiana, Republicans have three to one majorities in the legislature, but they could override the governor with just 51 percent. It's one of those states, right? So you could crush the governor. You could govern completely from the legislature. But with Holcomb, who's a total leftist, complete leftist. There's not an aspect of Fauciism that he does not support. And this is true of the majority of Republican governors. So he owns that legislature. They won't do anything. If you had a Democrat, you'd actually be better off. That's how bad these Republicans are. This whole thing is truly disgusting. So we need a sanctuary movement. A movement where the state will not just sit back passively, but actively use power. Use power to steer our outcomes. Again, you cannot, conservatism as a strategy is dead because conservatism was designed when we have a constitution, we're trying to preserve and conserve it, and, and we're you know experiencing the initial assault of the revolutionary, so you want to hold them back. They won. They got it. They crushed it a long time ago. We're the ones, you know, headed into concentration camps. If you don't make a big play, nothing will change. And I want to discuss this. I want to give you a long view, a long view, a broad view today of the biomedical genocide and why we need a sanctuary from it. I want I want to give you a broad view of how brilliantly they've planned everything, how unique it is in human history, what we're up against. Well, as always, pepper it with some science and data uh, to give you the latest of what's going on. But that's the thing I want you to understand. This is working out perfectly, perfectly for them. It's all by design. It can't be by accident. It's the perfect thing to politically look like what they're doing works temporarily until people catch on, and then they promote new stuff that keeps priming the pump and allows them to screw us, kill the most people from the virus, kill the most people from the side effects of whatever they're doing, be it lockdowns, be it the cloud shots, but then all the while get away with it. Now, first, uh, this segment sponsored by Rodenstock, the really, really probably the best international company for uh, you know, German-engineered eyewear. 
They have GoSpecs lenses that use advanced algorithms from more than a million patients measuring 7,000 points in the eye. Um, They are, my wife and I certainly believe these are our best pair of glasses we've ever had. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. Um, That way you don't have to leave the house and wear a mask. They're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Go Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodin stock frames. Just visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative to once again see 2020. And this is this is my problem. I can't find fellow conservative hosts to actually see 2020 on anything. But I wanted to first just frame what I'm gonna talk about, tying yesterday's show into today's show with a post by this man named Toby Rogers. He has a substack called Utopian. Someone sent me this to me in an email, and I, I thought it was really terrific, very well done. And he gives a very broad look of what has happened. And let me just give you first give you the subtitles and then read a little bit from his piece. He talks about how this is a genocide, but he says it's unique. This is the first self-inflicted genocide in human history. This is the first simultaneous global genocide. This is the first example of totalitarianism without nationalism. The genocide this time is privatized, directed by management, consultants, and private contractors. The genocide this time is monetized. The genocide this time is decentralized. Think about that, because everyone is is enforcing it on each other. The genocide this time is slow, and that's a very key point, so you don't realize it. The genocide this time is silent. Okay, there's no military parades, no soldiers in the streets. There's no visible war. Very brilliant way of putting it. And if you understand, you put it all together, it was designed to ensure that there's no meaningful reaction to it. Um, but but that's that's what it is. I mean, obviously, it's self-inflicted. It's global. I mean, it's it's literally almost every country... It applies to all people. It's not targeting a specific people. It's it's totalitarianism, divorced from nationalism, right? This is not, you know, like Germany or the Soviet Union, China, Cambodia, North Korea, um, because it's not about nation states anymore. It's about a global totalitarianism, which in many ways is worse. You can't escape it, okay? Obviously, it's privatized, Right? Um, it's not exactly like the classic fascist model of the state. It's the corporate sector has the upper hand and is directing the state. Right? Pfizer, right? In this case, you know, back then the SS was obviously the German paramilitary. Here the SS is Pfizer. Obviously it's monetized. Um... You know, they're going to squeeze out every last dollar. And the genocide is decentralized. It's decentralized. Family to family, community to community. Every doctor, every hospital enforces it. It's also very slow. It's not like you're you're gonna have like an Auschwitz where you have you know thou, you know in, in, in any given week thousands of people put into an oven. It's a slow churn of all of increase all cause mortality, 
both from the virus that they created and then blocked the treatment for and from the lockdowns, the shots, everything. So I thought it was just a very um, brilliant piece. If you want to look up Toby Rogers at Substack, the title is The Geographies of the Pharma Genocide. Very brilliant. So let's talk a little bit about this genocide. Yesterday, we had Dr. Dan Stock on the show. And he gave us a peek under the hood, a peek under the microscope of what happens. What what is the science behind what's going on in your body or what is going on in your body that's behind the trends we're seeing in the world? And the upshot of what he explained is that this is a brilliant shot. It really is. Because it's designed to create enough illusory efficacy, okay, in a way that almost the perfect analogy I would take out from what Dan Stock's presentation was, and again, if you haven't seen it, it's going to be December 9th show uh, with Dr. Dan Stock. It's like a heroin addict, okay? A heroin addict, the more heroin you take, the more if you don't have it, you feel sick. So freeze frame at that moment. You feel sick, right? You can't deny you feel sick. Well, I just shot up with heroin. You can't deny that I feel better now. The heroin is working. Is it not? That's what I mean by an illusory efficacy. It's the perfect screwball. Because not only does it not work, it eventually kills you. And each time it has less juice, it has more side effects, but less temporary like Band-Aid for your craving and your your temporary need. And it forces you into that death spiral. You have to take it more often, higher dose, do-do-do-do-do-do, till eventually you're dead. So really, is the answer, well, the heroin's working? No, it's that you're sick in the first place because of the heroin. So it's a similar thing here. It dumps a bunch of cheap suboptimal antibodies into your body. For a couple months, it will work. Now, brilliantly, it doesn't work to stop transmission and actually makes it even worse. So it keeps the panic alive. So it makes it that people want to get it more because, you know, if there aren't cases, people stop caring about COVID. Plus, it initially crushes the unvaccinated who wouldn't have otherwise needed a shot. But now they're screwed, especially if they don't get treatment. And they get crushed by the higher viral load. So all the more while you get to shame all these people for not having it. Look at all these people dying. You get to have it more. And then right when the antibodies are going to wane off, you push another round of boosters. Another round perpetually. And we already see from the data, it looks like it does staunch. Again, not the transmission. You transmit it even more. But it does work a little bit, not for five, six months. It's going to be more for about two, two and a half months. Okay, that's what the data shows. So it's going down and down more and more. Right? If you look at the UK data, every week the efficacy was getting worse and worse and worse. Um, it was already negative efficacy for transmission, and then we we're rapidly reaching parity with hospitalizations, and they had to staunch it. And that's why it was such an emergency. At first, I thought maybe the boosters were just a holdover to the therapeutics. Now I don't think the therapeutics are really a big deal. They're not making a big deal out of it. I think the boosters are the big deal. Now that they suckered people into it and they were pretty doggone successful, 
It's not a one-to-one ratio. It's not everyone who got the first two get the third, but the majority of them did. And that's not good. They're going to keep getting people on it. So it's brilliant. Well, it did work, right? Before, and now it's kind of wearing off. So you just get another one. So you get that efficacy back before, right? Do you want to die in the hospital like all those other people? And then, of course, they exaggerate and lie and make it seem like, oh, it's perfect efficacy against critical illness, when in fact what it really is is very hit or miss temporarily and then diminishingly so the older you get. The older you get, it almost really works very little and you can't count on it at all. And then all those people are caught without any options. They don't promote the monoclonals. They don't promote, um, you know, obviously the, the steroids and the nasal spray and the trash it and the ivermectin and all this stuff. And it is oxonide. And then that's how they get away with this. So if you look at the data, it's pretty straightforward. The UK has the best data out there. Okay, because they divide up for the most part one dose, zero dose, and two doses. So, you know, you, you, um, you're able to see how, no, in fact, the, the overwhelming majority of hospitalizations and deaths are among the vaccinated. It's a huge lie. It's just that it's still, in most age groups, it's still obviously not commensurate. So let's say, you know, if 95% of that age group will be vaccinated 85% of hospitalizations or whatever you know will be or 80% will be among them so it's 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 not the 10 20% you know uh you know it's not 90% of the hospitalizations unvaccinated that's a lie no the majority in almost everywhere is vaccinated it's just that you know when you actually properly adjust the numbers it's just that there's a degree of efficacy But that degree of efficacy is actually a bad thing. Because what that does is it makes your body dependent on those cheap antibodies. And it permanently teaches your body to do stupid things. So the net result is this. A year out, what are we seeing? What are we seeing? What's the net result? Okay? The net result is, even before we got to what we talked about yesterday, how in the long run it's going to make you more you know, worse off for this virus and worse off for every virus and cancers and all the things, the long-term autoimmune diseases, but just the immediate side effects, the immediate deaths, okay? All cause mortality. All cause mortality in the United States this year for seniors, meaning 65 and above, for the first 11 months of the year, relative to 2020, it's up 71%. 99.1% of American seniors have at least one dose. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. What that means is more people are dying both of COVID because it it made the virus worse and because of, um, you know, other deaths. You got to look at all-cause mortality. So the the trick is, for some people, for a period of time, temporarily, it reduces your risk of hospitalization from COVID, but it upped the ante and made the virus more deadly. So it's a wash and then crushes the unvaccinated, eventually crushes them, and that's why they have to keep doing the boosters. 
and then it wipe and then whatever benefit you even got even relative to the ADE that you created is washed out by the people who die from the shots themselves. But that that's the trick. It's very illusory. Right? If I would take a heroin person, heroin addict during the course of the thing, is there never a point in time you you had a absolute benefit at any moment from taking the heroin? Well, yeah, of course. I felt miserable without it before. But on net, you gotta look at the broad picture. And but but again, politically, you can understand why it's so easy for them to say, oh look, you know, all these people dying. But I first want to show you how they're lying about that. So um, this segment is sponsored by Enemies Within the Church. Uh, this is a must-see film directed by uh, Judd Saul, produced by Trevor Loudon, written by Kerry Gordon. It describes how the evangelical establishment has been taken over, just like the Catholic Church, just like the Jewish uh, religion. All these establishment religious organizations, they've been taken over by intersectionality, critical race theory, neo-Marxism, social justice. This is what is this is what's making red states not red. That's the truth. It's because all the church leaders and all the political leaders that are connected to them, the governors, they're all bought into this garbage, refugee resettlement, criminal justice deform, COVID fascism. Um, no denomination is safe anymore. It's not just the main line. Uh, that's why you need to see what is behind this, who's behind it, and what to do about it. Again, go to enemieswithinthechurch.com, purchase your DVD, send it to your pastor, alert everyone to what is going on. So, very interesting point in here. There's something called the Heart Health Advisory and Recovery Team. It's a British um, health and public analysis group, and they and they have a great. They've been done a lot of good work on on excess deaths, and they have a great piece. And they talk about there have been numerous papers published showing how well the vaccines protect people after the second dose. Again, not from getting it, they get it more, but from severe illness. Some of this effect is an illusion. The effect happens as a result of inaccurate measuring and a phenomenon called survivorship bias. And, and they do a great job of explaining this. Survivorship bias happens when a group is compared at two time points, but the members of the group change between the time points. It would be like assessing the quality of a swimming school, which favors the technique of throwing people into the middle of the ocean, leaving them for a couple of hours and claiming credit for how well the remaining students can swim. After two hours, the only people left would be the ones who could already swim, and possibly a few who learned to swim the hard way. The poor souls who drowned in the interim don't even make the count. Attributing the remaining people's swimming ability to the coach, who turned up two hours later, would obviously give a very misleading picture. Pointing out that no one drowned in later lessons would be equally misleading in determining the success of the teaching technique. Like we said, you have to look at the whole genesis. You can't look at a snapshot. With code vaccination, there's a two-week period of vaccination that is not included in the data. The rationale given for that is that vaccines take a while to induce antibodies, and therefore the first two weeks' data are not relevant. Obviously, this is flawed. What if the vaccines have a deleterious effect that are visible straight away that have nothing to do with the antibody production? Meaning, the point is, there's two things about it. Number one, it, it, it it's not just, and then I'll make the second point, but it, it's not just that it, it, it takes time to, for the vaccines to work. It's that it first lowers your immune system. Before the take-up. And with some people, it might be a longer take-up. 
And especially some people might drag it out longer, you know. So some people, you know, the whole process between the two shots could take up to two months. You know, and, and that's just their choice. But what that does is it's your vac. You can't blame that on the unvaccinated. Your vaccination campaign creates that. So both on the efficacy and on the side effect side, but on the efficacy, it's also somewhat of a side effect because it's negative effective. So you're more vulnerable to COVID. But then also on the safety side, all of the mortality and most mortality, of course, is right away is when you get the reaction, certainly within the first two weeks, but usually within the first few days. A lot of times it's not counted against the vaccine. That's absurd. So that's how in America they have all these illusory numbers. Oh, 90% in the hospitals, all the death is, it's bull. And you're going to see we have hard data contradicting that in countries that do break out, you know, the data uh, accordingly. But that's the important thing to keep in mind. That's not a valid technique. Meaning, there's one thing if you have, not a pandemic, but it's endemic. It's like, yeah, here and there down the road. So you're like, look, it's worth having lifetime protection, which of course it's not. It's not, it's very little protection, but let's say even it would be lifetime protection, you know, if for a month you're more vulnerable. But if in, if it's in the middle of a circulating pandemic that the mass vaccination excel, itself accelerates and makes even worse, you can't do that because you're going to lose a good number of the people during that period. And usually it's often the people, when it starts circulating in an area, they get very scared um, the the departments of health ramp up the PR, go out and get it. They go out and get it, and then they freaking get COVID. So it's a very important point made by the Heart Group. Okay, so they they actually show how it's they have numbers there. I'm not going to get into. I don't have time. How uh, it really um, skews the entire efficacy, like entire entirety of it, is because of that factor. Again, it's the Heart Advisory and Recovery Team. The title is. Why hide what happens in the first two weeks after vaccination? Now, connected to that, let me go to the UK data. So the UK is composed of England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Ireland, And, and they all have different data if you go to their um, different sites. And I want to go through some of this. And it's gonna, they're all going to paint the same picture. Okay, They have real data. So we're told 90% of people in the hospitals with COVID, are unvaccinated in America. And they rip it out of their rear end. They're anecdotal. There's no continuous granular weekly data. Let's go to the UK. Let's go to the UK. So England, public health England. Start with England. Okay? You're going to see a very interesting pattern here. 90% of those in the hospital unvaccinated? Really? Nope. Week 48. Okay, this just came out Thursday. Latest data from England. This is hospitalizations, admissions. 14, just 14% of those over 80 admitted for COVID are unvaccinated. Not 90, 14% are fully unvaccinated. You go down to 70 to 79-year-olds, next cohort, 18%. 60 to 69 year olds, 25%. 50 to 59 year olds, 36%. And 40 to 49 year olds, 49%. And then when you go to really young, it hits a majority. So in no age group is it anywhere near the 80, 90% they talk about. And in fact, it's 
you know, 80, 90, 70, 80, 90% vaccinated in most, most age cohorts. But you're going to notice that it mat- it goes up with age. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, some of it is the older you get, the greater the universe of vaccinated. So obviously, more likely anyone coming to the hospital is vaccinated. Um, and that is true. And I haven't done perfect math. I don't have time. I didn't do it. But just eyeballing it, it's obvious that that's only a minority factor. The majority factor is that clearly the efficacy is less when you get older, not just that the denominator is greater of vaccinated if you just look at it. Because, you know, in England, the difference between the 60s and 80s, it's very limited. In both age groups, it's almost universal. It's almost, you know, you know, 95 to 100% vaccinated. It's not that much of a difference. Um, what that shows you clearly. Now, again, I know everyone's going to jump on me. Oh, well, Daniel, well, well, in that age cohort, 90% are vaccinated and only 80% of the hospitalized are, are vaccinated. I understand that. And, and so because it does produce antibodies and maybe limited T cells for some, but not really older people for a short period of time, of course it has a degree of efficacy. But that degree of efficacy is actually what kills you and comes at a cost. It's illusory. So a couple things. Number one is, that's not nine, That's very different than saying 90% are unvaccinated. Oh, it has some degree of efficacy. But that's already... Now, again, there's one thing if almost everyone, every senior is vaccinated, and you have 3.4 people, it's working, it's a rare thing to have a breakthrough, you have 3.4 people in the hospital with COVID vaccinated... And among those, most of them are vaccinated. We can say, well, Daniel, that's, you got to look at the whole picture. I understand that. But no, the numbers are high. Everyone's yelping about the hospitals being overrun. I mean, you look at Vermont with 99% of seniors vaccinated. I mean, they had to call it the National Guard. So who the hell do you think is in there? Right? So the numbers are high. So the point being is, even if you take 100 seniors that are unvaccinated and 100 seniors that are vaccinated and you'll have a few more hospitalizations and deaths in the vaccinated group unvaccinated group but the point is it's still way too spotty that you could count on it and it's so you're killing them from the shot you're going to kill their immune system forever you're going to make them dependent on this you're making the virus worse for everyone when you could just simply treat it and give everyone the monoclonals and ivermectin but instead what you do is focus on this, you can't count on it. So it's 20% effective, 30% effective in keeping you out of the hospital. Well, that's not great odds. I mean, you can't count on that. You don't know if you're going to be one of those people. That's the point. When it dips that low, it's useless at that point. Even in an absolute term. If you look overall in the age cohorts above 50, 23% in England are unvaccinated. 70% of all admissions are vaccinated. And by the way, that's hospitalizations. Interestingly enough, if you look at the deaths, it's more like 80% of the deaths are are, um, among the vaccinated. That's because a lot of them die at home. A lot of them are dying at home. Um, There's also another interesting thing that's beyond the scope of today's show. I saw somewhere going through how... The evidence seems to show, and it's not clear why, that the vaccinated seem to die later often. And in many places, if you die outside the 28-day window from PCR positive, you're not counted as a COVID death, even though clearly it caused it. So there's a lot of games being played. 
I feel the numbers are even more unfavorable to the Vax. But my point is twofold. Number one, this is the, this is straight up what their data say, and they're the only ones that publish this type of data. So I'm going to believe them over the U.S. And number two, my point is the degree of temporary illusory efficacy is so it, 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 it's so misleading because it, again it's like saying i feel better ha- that i had the heroin now than I, than not having the heroin but you should have never embarked on that path and you need to stop it and 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 get healthy in another way cuz you're going you're going to destroy the world from this but politically, you could understand how they get away with this. It's a brilliant tactic. Let's go on. That was England. Let's go on to Scotland. Scotland, this is for November. So it's a couple of weeks delayed. Scotland in November. It is... No, not Scotland. I'm looking at Wales here. Public Health Wales. If you just Google Public Health Wales... Um, Surveillance of vaccine status in confirmed COVID-19 episodes in hospital patients. This is this is like mid-September. Okay, so it's a little old. It's mid-September. Um, there's an article on it. Public Health Wales. If you just Google hospitalizations by vaccination status, public health Wales, you'll see this article pops up. Is, I, I don't see where they have newer data, but they have a chart. And here's the chart. They divide it, so they don't have as many cohorts. They divide it in 18 to 60 and over 60. Over 60, 92.4% of all hospitalizations are vaccinated. Just 6% are not. Well, Daniel, but fewer than 6% of the denominator is unvaccinated, right? I don't know what it is. I'm making it up, but let's say it's 3 4%. It's a little bit less. But, dude, that's almost that parody. Over 60. So what that shows you is that for the people who need it most, even the temporary thing before the booster, it doesn't really, you know, it's, it's very minimal. If you're over 60 and you get COVID and have the shots, you better get treatment. Again, you have a study of a thousand people in one group, thousand other. It could be you'll have a few more, you know, problems in the unvaccinated group, but that that's academic. That practically does not help you. That practically means that we should be putting all of the resources and messaging and pressure and coolness and ads into treatments of various sorts and not the shots. Now you go on you go age 18 to 60 then it's 35% are unvaccinated. But even then, 62% are are vaccinated. Okay? So it's still the majority. It's just a greater degree of efficacy. What this demonstrates is that I've said all along, the only people where I I think you have, if you want to isolate, ignore all the people dying from the shots, ignore all the ADE it created, ignore all the long-term effects, all the, you know, before the ball game's over, just like Sweden, they didn't look so great in the first inning. They were better than the big European countries, but some of the smaller ones like Denmark and you know Norway and whatever, even Germany. Now they're 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 ahead of Germany. You know you got to look at at the at, at the full picture. But the only thing, even in a, in absolute terms, is these people that are younger 
surprisingly get crushed. And you never know. Sometimes they just really, you know, they seem kind of healthy. They're not overweight. Those people, it's more likely, yes, that those are the ones that the vaccine would protect most often. And if you're, in other words, to the extent you're going to find a 45-year-old, a 40-year-old that just gets slammed by this, it's going to be an unvaccinated person. And I will admit that. Except, here's the dirty little secret. The only reason they will likely get seriously ill or die is because of the mass vaccination. Because we weren't having that before that. That's the ADE. That's the viral load. It's clearly a viral load thing. If they're more morbidly obese, then it could be even without the viral load. But, but the ones that aren't, it's the viral load that's getting them. And that, if you listen today to yesterday's shows, these people are walking bioweapons. So it's a pandemic of the vaccinated. Okay? It's a complete pandemic of the vaccinated. Let's never, ever, ever forget that. Never, ever forget that. You know, seven triple vaccinated German Germans become infected with Omicron in South Africa. Six of the seven had three shots. So that's another thing with Omicron. Omicron looks like it might be the opposite. Omicron looks like it might be ADE, ADE finally broke out. That's what Vandenbosch seems to be thinking. Now, I think in absolute terms, it might be a mild strain, hopefully. So hopefully for everyone, it will be, it will be fine. And we pray that's the case. But they actually might get it worse relatively than the vaccine. But with Delta, it certainly has not been the case. So this is where we are with that. Let's go on to Scotland. This is as of December 6th. Okay, so this was last week. But the data is mainly the four weeks in November. So this spreads out over four weeks in November. So here's interesting. They don't rate it by age. This is overall. Okay, overall. So it's interesting. You look overall in Wales, 83.6. Well, let me do it on the other perspective. 12.8% of all hospitalizations are unvaccinated. Okay. You could take that to the bank as of September in the country, in, in, in Wales, 12.8, that just 12.8% of all hospitalizations were unvaccinated. 12.8%. That is a fact. Now, interestingly enough, you go to Scotland. So Public Health Scotland COVID-19 Winter Statistical Report. Age standardized rate of acute hospital admissions where an individual had a COVID-19 positive PCR test. It ranges, depending on the week, from 26 to 35 unvaccinated. Still very much the minority, but notice it's it's two to three times more than Wales, where it's 12.8. Well, you look at the fine print. They count as unvaccinated anyone who had their fir- unvaccinated or if they had their first shot, but they're within 21 days of their first. So they actually do break out unvaccinated one dose and two dose. But the problem is their definition of here's the game they play. Their definition of unvaccinated, you would think, so if you have one dose, it's one dose. No. If you have one dose, but you're less than 21 days from that one dose, you're put in the unvaccinated pile when we know that's when you're really vulnerable. 
So it's a complete joke. So the numbers would be closer to whales. So you're starting to see a pattern where the numbers are jiving. And then, of course, you go to Northern Ireland, 19% of people over 50. 19% of those over 50 in the hospital were unvaccinated. Everyone else was vaccinated. Under 50, they have it 60%. So they do have 60% under 50 but again, there's so few deaths under 50. It, it's meaningless and in terms of its absolute risk reduction. Keep that in mind. This is the illusory joke. For the young cohorts, it seems to really work in the sense of the rare cases you have that die seem to only be, mainly be in the unvaccinated. But that's ridiculous because it, 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 it's like, it's like it, there's a difference between as, as, as telling you I could have a 50% reduction in death from from um, cancer. Oh, that's a huge deal. Now, what if I tell you you have a 50% reduction in deaths from shark attacks? <laughs> okay, I mean, you know, it's, that's nice, but that, that, that's a very different picture. So this is the big lie. The overwhelming majority of admissions and deaths are even more, by the way, for a number of reasons. And that's even with some other funny games being played but at least they adjust for your vaccination status more than we do in America, are among the vaccinated. That is a simple fact. You can glean a degree of efficacy relative to their vaccination rate, but it is well beyond the point that you can count on it, and the older you get, the more vulnerable you are to COVID, and the less these ever work for you, and the more the spike protein is going to kill you. And none of that is being recorded. And hence, this is why, if you look at all-cause mortality, they are net losers. Even in the absolute, if you want to like isolate one thing, it's, it's, it's illusory. So I figured it was just, I, I, I know we spent a lot of time on this. I wanted to spend time on other things today I had on my list. It's a shame. But I think this, more than anything, was important to get out. And again, Google is your friend. I mean, I know people want me to post it. I, I tweet this stuff out. If you want to find it, it's very easy to find. I I usually tell you where. I give you the title. Um, if you're listening to it, just take notes and and Google it. You'll easily find. You could find this data. Um, it's out there in plain sight. Now, just in the remaining couple minutes of today's show and this week, I want to touch on a couple other stories. Uh, first, one to finish off the theme of the day, where they're headed with this bioweapon. There's a very interesting story one of our listeners sent me, and I never heard of it, and I'm asking some of our horse experts around if they've heard of it, but it seems like it was more of a big deal in Australia the last, you know, five, seven years or so. There's something called Hendra disease, um, a horse disease, but they claim that it could transmit to humans and have killed some humans, and they created a vaccine it was actually the subsidiary or at least former subsidiary company of Pfizer named Zotis, Z-O-E-T-I-S. Very interesting. And it's something you might want to research. I'm going to research in the coming days. Uh, but this post from this woman, Kelly Essex, on Twitter, on, uh, on Facebook, I mean, really sheds light on this. And it's very interesting. What is happening now is reminiscent to the Hendra vax for horses. Horse owners were told that it was such a deadly virus 
and that just being near a horse, you would contract it and die, meaning the person we were threatened, coerced, and bribed to inject the poison into our animals, two shots, six weeks apart, and then a booster every six months. Sound familiar? Vets refused to tend to a sick horse unless proof of vax was provided. We weren't allowed to attend shows unless vaxxed like horse shows it too was an experimental injection that only received full approval in the last few years once injected with this poison horses died became lame had seizures became mentally unstable but none of this was listed as an effect of the vax still sound familiar as more boosters were given once healthy horses became sicker owners started to wake up and realize they were doing more harm than good it also came to light that unless your horse was 100 percent healthy it should not be given the jab because wait for it it targeted the weak spots in the immune system and made them worse. So something very interesting to look at, perpetuating boosters. Um, and, uh, you know, you, I, I went back and did a little bit of work, and it was interesting. The shame was there that Atlantic has an article talking about anti-vaxxers. So this is a true try-tested method. And, you know, some of us, and I guilt uh, you know i shamelessly or shamefully admit i was unaware that this was going on all these years i just you know i was focused on other issues this was building for a long time two quick other stories on other issues cnn ceos of target best buy and cvs and other retail chains ask congress for help amid crime surge very interesting they also throw Nordstrom, Home Depot, are among a group of 20 retail leaders who sent a letter Thursday to Congress expressing their concern over a recent wave of brazen store robberies in major U.S. cities and urged lawmakers to take action. The group called on Congress to pass legislation that would deter criminals from being able to easily resell stolen merchandise. As millions of Americans have undoubtedly seen on the news in recent weeks and months, retail establishments of all kinds have seen a significant uptake in organized crime in communities across the nation. Sent by the Retail Industry Leaders Association, which includes basically the entire cartel. Very interesting. So, let's get this straight. Do you know that these companies, I mean, CVS pledged $600 million to BLM and criminal justice reform. They funded this stuff. Literally. The reason they have so much power, just like the, the COVID fascism, criminal justice deform, all bought into this. BLM, the rioting, the repeat offenders, all the... You know, depending on the state, the statutes of some states like Oklahoma and California had ballot initiatives to downgrade to misdemeanors, theft, right? This is everywhere. So now you have, you know, you see videos from California where they'll literally come in with a calculator and uh, just take what they want if it's under $1,000. And even if it's over, right, officially under 1000 nothing will happen, but even, but de facto, they will do nothing for it. They've essentially legalized burglary because that's what criminal justice deform is. Oh, do something about it, Congress. First of all, it's a stupid thing. It's mainly a state thing. And it comes from the states letting everyone out of prison. 2020 survey of 61 retailers by the National Retail Federation showed organized theft jumped nearly 60% from 2015. 
and cost stores on average $719,000 per billion dollars in sales, so almost a million dollars. 60% from when? Notice the jump wasn't just from, from like the BLM riding. It was from 2015. That was the benchmark when all these states began passing criminal justice deform for low-level crimes. Gee, very interesting story there. Very interesting story. Pathetic one, too. You know what? I would support legislation toughening up sentencing on theft once again, except I would exempt those stores from that. I would actually say no jail time for any of those people. For no one who funds jailbreak. See, this is it's time we play hardball with these businesses. This is the beauty. See, they go along with the left and then they count on Republicans when the going gets rough on one or two issues to bail them out. And this is where we need to use our leverage against these people and say, hey, you know, I would call on all these CEOs and say, hey, buddy, you know what happens with anarchy, right? So you better stop funding this crap. Here's what we're going to do, but we, want, we need you to back off on the following other issues as well. But of course, Republicans are bought out by them. Another quick story here. This is from NBC News. More than half of women are still failing the new exam. Um, Army, the Army replaces decades-old fitness exam with a more friendly one. and then So it was designed to make sure all women could pass it, and still more than 50% fail the two-hour Army combat fitness test, right, ACFT. Um, it consists of six exercises, a medicine ball throw, hand-release push-ups, deadlifts, a two-mile run, sprint drag, carry exercises, and leg tucks or planks. Remember, folks, this is not basic training. This is for the Army Combat Fitness Test. It's something very different. Okay, it's not like just basic training. So we always knew this would happen. We we're into the Amazon stuff. We need to have women in combat. And by the way, all the Republicans have bought into this completely. No, everyone stopped fighting it, kind of like the homosexual agenda. Anything that has to do with gender bending, they just drop. And it's like... And then they, they, they literally gutted the test... The Marines studied this very painstaking study, cost millions of dollars, and they found it was a complete bust. They had a 40-year-old physical fitness test that they replaced. Um, they had to do a certain number of push-ups and sit-ups within two minutes. So it changed. And... Um, they have more than half of them still cannot do it and they get injured which makes sense they have planks as a substitute for leg tucks to address the higher fail rates among women um you know it's just unbelievable it's um, I, I saw some of these things what they were doing um, when they talk about, you know, the amount of push-ups they were able to do, 
And like my wife is like, you know, she's small, probably 105 pounds. Um, you know, her arms are paper thin. Like, you know, she's, you know, not strong at all. But like she was saying, wow, that's that's pretty astounding. That's for the military looking at some of these standards. And this is where we are. I mean, it's just it's so pathetic. And Republicans gave up fighting this issue a long time ago. And it, it's such an easy thing to fight because the science speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. But then again, our military is done. It's not like it matters anymore. You're never going to do anything productive with our military. Um, it, it, it is just truly unbelievable. This whole thing never made sense. When you talk about you know, infantry and combat... Those type of guys, the grunts, right? Those are things that a standard man without training who's not in great shape wouldn't be able to pass, right? They're designed to, I mean, that, that's the point. So the notion that you're going to have women pass a proper combat fitness test is was always going to be ridiculous. And to sit and change the culture of the military and create all the social problems of mixing in the 3.4 Amazonian dykes that they you know put in there it's just not worth it it never made any sense it was always an agenda there was no science behind it no regard for military um readiness uh combat readiness but it doesn't matter it's going to keep going on believe me they rig it every way they can that's that's the goal of the military now folks state militias is the way to go we need alternatives like everything, it all gets back to the states. We need our sanctuaries. We are just about out of time. Um, just want to plug again, blazesocks.com, warm cotton socks made in America. The materials in America, 1,200 American jobs are behind it. Um, you can get Go Brandon cotton socks. Go to blazesocks.com. Uh, promo code Hurwitz20. We also have our own merchandise for this show. Um, mugs, t-shirts, and hoodies, freedom over fascism. They're really cool messages. If you go to shop.blazemedia.com slash collections slash Daniel Horowitz, put in Horowitz 20, um, you'll get 20% off. Makes a great Christmas gift. We are out of time for today, for this week. We'll do it all again Monday, same time, same place. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.